With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast, and here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hello, friends. Tennis.com podcast. Uh, wanted to get this one out uh, and going as soon as possible. This is a I th- really, you know, the first week of March, um, first full week, I should say, and things really do pick up pretty quickly. Um, there's, uh, of course, Indian Wells gets going this week, Steve. Um, you'll, you know, we're going to cover that ground on uh, on the site with some men's and women's previews. There's also an event at uh, Madison Square Garden, um, Serena Wozniacki, Vavrinka Monfils. So I thought it was good to, to touch on Davis Cup here. You know, there is a lot of ground to cover, as is the case with the first round of play. And I thought overall this um, first round was pretty interesting, and it, it really leads to, I think, some more tantalizing possibilities. I think this is a pretty pretty good addition of the tournament. I think especially when you compare it to last year and I think it I think really for the most part we kind of you know didn't see the varsity level of, of Davis Cup. We you know not to take away from Britain or Belgium, but I think this is a little more representative of what we, you know, come to expect with the tournament. Yeah, I think even better really because you have the number one and two players involved in in five set matches and close ties, um, that's really what you want. You know, that's what people talk about that Davis Cup doesn't get is is the top players. But here you had this weekend you had Andy Murray and Novak Djokovic both pretty much rescuing their teams in in five set matches on Sunday. And you you know, you sort of starts to make me you know, they'll play they'll also play in the next round, which is kind of unfortunate for, for Davis Cup. Serbia will play the play Great Britain so if these if they're still if they're both playing they'll meet in that round but it also sort of feels it feels a little like the top players the best players are playing more now you know you had six of the top 10 you had the top two granted Federer Federer and Nadal Vavrinka they weren't there but but most other big names you saw in this first round um, you know I, I think it was a pretty pretty good quality event and bodes well for for this season yeah and as you said about Murray and Djokovic you know in this case they were it was it was less about the hired gun that comes in to kind of just restore order against a uh, you know a, a tricky but not overwhelming opponent in in you know Britain played Japan Serbia played Kazakhstan as you said Murray and Djokovic were, were heavily tested this this round um Djokovic who was coming off of uh a week where he withdrew uh because of eye problems he ends up playing three matches um you know the first one rolls through that one two and three um drops the doubles with Zemanjic and uh and wins a a must win 
must win fourth rubber in five sets, um, you know, taking the last two against Mikhail Kukushkin, who's, you know, if you've watched slams over really the past couple years and, and even some, you know, tour events, you, you definitely know that the guy has, he, he's, he's not there for no reason. He certainly on the right day is a troubling player against. And, you know, with the first two sets going to breakers and Djokovic dropping the third, you really, you know, kind of wonder where that goes. Um, he does rescue the home team in the end there. You know, maybe we we'll just start with that, with, with Djokovic's performance as a whole. It's it's still encouraging to see, and, um, you know, he doesn't give anything away. Yeah, you know, he ended up winning his two singles, did take a loss in doubles. Um, maybe you wonder whether he's going to keep playing Davis Cup if it's going to be this involved for him you know we'll see how see if that has any effect on him in Indian Wells I would doubt it but um but it's good to see him back in Davis Cup since they won in 2010 he's been kind of off and on but good to see him there this weekend and and you know he and um you know really helping them I think even I think Murray is more of an interesting case to me in that he they won the Davis Cup last year and you sort of thought well, he's not going to be—he's not going to play this year. That's pretty much the standard. He's done his duty, right? Duty, Djokovic, Federer, um, Nadal to a certain extent. Once they won, and had felt like they'd done what they needed to do, they—you know—it's not like they played every round. But Murray sounds—you know—he sounds enthusiastic to keep playing. He—he—he he, he, he seems like he really likes the atmosphere and you know it's you know a home tire like this where he won three matches again he's up to 14 straight since the beginning of last year in, in davis cup it almost feels like you know he's a he's a top guy who who will continue to play davis cup you know we'll see we'll see what happens but as of now he's the first guy i felt like top guy who's won and then decided he really liked it and kept going with it um and he you know showed again be Beating Nishikori down a break in the fifth set, it looked like it looked like Kay was going to run away with that. But Murray, you know, Murray pulled that out. We'll see if you know what that does for him. Also going for it, it was a great way to get back into back into playing after a month away for him. Yeah, and uh, you know, really, even when you think about Britain, um, you know, Murray winning uh, winning gold for Britain in uh, the you know, the 2012 Olympics is. He's really done a lot in in respect to uh, playing for the nation, and um, I think I, I just think that's a that's a big part of this. Um, he's, he was certainly needed against Japan. He ends up contributing in some way to all of the points that they earned. Um, Nishikori, you know that you you wonder you wonder if if Britain, like you said, is kind of uh, you know kind of lost at sea w- without him in this tie, but. Uh, he, you know, like Djokovic, he gets the job done, and you know they're going to meet in the next round. They will, that you know, that's really, and I know we'll look ahead a little bit down the road, but you know, boy, you have to really kind of savor that quarterfinal tie. Um, it's in, it's in Serbia, um, so you know the you you, you do suspect that uh, you know we could be seeing some clay chosen for that. This is actually a round. Uh, the the date that that is held is right after Wimbledon, actually. So it's you know it'd be fairly interesting the kind of the the games that the coaches want to play. But you know you do sense looking ahead already to that that 
that fourth rubber between those two could be really great stuff. And and this is also, you know, this makes also their summers all the more busy. You talk about how much Davis Cup, you know, asks of players. This summer in particular for Murray and Djokovic could be very taxing. Yeah, hopefully they'll still be ready for that. You know, they, they, it's possible they could play a Wimbledon final and then play again uh, in Davis Cup in, in Serbia. You think Serbia has the advantage there. They have Troitsky as a second player, whereas Great Britain at the moment has Dan Evans. That's probably, you know, that probably means Murray's going to need to beat, probably means Murray's going to need to beat Djokovic and win in, in doubles as well. So, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a big weekend for him. Yeah. And I, I mean, I guess I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent ready to say that, that both of them would still definitely commit to that time. We, we, there's been a long history of players pulling out because of just, you know, the tour schedule is just too busy and based on how they do at certain events, Wimbledon, obviously what is what comes to mind there. But but you do think that, you know, with their play in this first round, you know, they've kind of at least, you know, thought the that come the quarterfinal stage, whatever happens will, will show up there. So uh, that's, you know, certainly something to keep an eye on, you know, down the road. Um, the uh, if as we move down the bracket, um, Italy and Argentina, they will meet in the quarterfinals. Italy uh, swept the Swiss five nothing. Uh, no Ravrinka, no Federer, as you mentioned. Argentina uh, gets by Poland three to two. Um, you know, we were just talking before. Maybe, maybe, maybe at that time, maybe at this time, you know, in July, maybe we see Juan Martín del Potro kind of work his way into that tie. But anything to add to that one before we move on? No, that's sort of the quarter. You don't, you don't know what's going to happen. That that tie is going to be in Italy, almost certainly on clay. We'll see. You know, Fognini wasn't involved in the first round. We'll see if he's back involved. We'll see if we'll see about Del Potro. You know, those teams in the you know in the in the first round really didn't have any top players involved at all. So you kind of look at that. You know they'll have to get some people back. They'll have to hope either Great Britain or Serbia in the coming, you know, f- further on doesn't feel the full team. You sort of feel like those guys are that. That's an underdog round. Uh, sure. Going forward. Yeah, and that's in in direct contrast to the the next uh, tie that we'll be talking about, France, which had its full arsenal uh, available in uh, in Guadeloupe actually not even France proper where it was um, you know where this tie was held against Canada Canada did not have Raonic and they didn't have really any resistance to France whatsoever you had Monfils Simon Gasquet Sanga and um, France did not drop a single set in that uh, really just uh, uh, whitewashing of them there. And, you know, when when you were looking ahead to, to this Davis Cup first round last week, you know, the question was kind of thought about, it's it's really an annual question about, you know, can France really finally break out and, and just win this tournament? They have always had the depth, they've always had um, the players that you think can, can combine, you know, to put it all together, and they always inevitably have some slip up along the way whether it's early or late in the event to preclude that to prevent that from happening and you know it it really is kind of like a dream team if you think about it uh in in that respect at least but um you know what do you think kind of of France overall uh this year yeah you know you look at that team i 
there's four guys, four guys on that team: Songo, Gasquet, Simon, and Monfils, who are three guys in the top twenty. A fourth guy, Monfils, if he's not in the top twenty right now, he belongs there. That's you know easily the deepest, best singles group you're gonna field. And you, you sort of look at that and you think this this generation of French guys has to win a Davis Cup. You know they they haven't done it. They've been there. They've been close. They've been in the finals. Previous generations of French teams have won the Noah generation, then another one before these guys uh, won one. I mean, you just feel like this is one of their best groups, and they really, really kind of all in their primes too. Still yeah, at the moment, they really all should win one. But I guess what's kept them back was they don't have the top guy. You know, they don't. They can be beaten by one good player, or you know they. They reached the final and lost to Switzerland. They lost to, you know, that was losing to Federer, Favrinka. They lost to Serbia once. That was mainly Djokovic. Last year they lost to Great Britain. That was Murray. There's, you know, there's, mm-hmm. they lack that. The same way they lack a Grand Slam champion, they lack like a real anchor player. Um, they also, none of those guys are outstanding doubles players. So they, they do have a, they, you know, they do come together and produce some good doubles teams. Um, yeah, it's almost like it's almost as if they have you know trouble settling on one player and have that sort of just you know like having two two capable quarterbacks or a goalie controversy. It, it's tough to, and I think that is kind of a detriment when you you don't have that pecking order established. I think this will be tough. This is a tough round for them because it's, they're facing a couple things that have brought them down the surface. In the you know, this will be in the Czech Republic, so you figure the surface will be fast. Um, it'll be they'll have a another tough number one player to face in Berdick, and also he's always been good in doubles in um, in Davis Cup. And the Czechs just seem to know how to win these win these ties. They got a great match, deciding match in the first round out of Lucas Rosal to beat Alexander Zverev to clinch it. Um, so it's, you know it's kind of the kind of kind of team that could that could surprise the French again. But that's a that's a That'll be a big tie, and I I feel like France, despite that, with its draw, they, they should be able to make the final and really and really challenge this year to to finally win it. Yeah, the Czechs are are nothing if not battle tested. You know, they've won uh, two titles pretty recently, um, 2012-2013. Uh, this this past week, they go into Germany. Uh, you know, take that tie in five, uh, in you know, down to the last rubber. Rasal, you know, with a, a really a really one-sided six-two, six-three, six-one win over Zverev. I, I think a lot of that does go to really, you know, the spotlight was on Zverev probably like never before, and Rasal has, you know, he's dealt with that before, not just in Davis Cup, but. You know, on the tour level as well, I think that's a, a totally different ask for you know a young, a very young player still. Um, Burdich, that's a great point about you know he is he is someone who has has led this group before. This is essentially the same team that did win uh, the title back then. It's it, it does kind of line up. You know, you know exactly really what the uh, you know what the progression is from that team. It's it's a it's a good contrast to France, and like you said, that's not an easy uh, that's not an easy tie for them to get through. So I think I think you know if they do get through that, that certainly says quite a bit about them, and and I think where we can project them going forward. Um, you know, 
the last quarter final that was established was based off of um, you know the uh, we'll start with the U.S. and Australia and the United States wins that one on the road three to one. There's quite a bit to this tie you know, involving both teams, but I think I, I wanted to start just really commending the Americans on this because a this is this is you know on the road for sure. It's on uh, on grass which. U.S. certainly has players capable of, you know, doing, you know, that's not a surface that's going to hurt them, but um, it's it's also one where, you know, you're still on the road, um, and and I thought that, th- you know, that team has had some really tough draws in recent years. They've had trouble getting out of the first round with what looks to be a, a pretty formidable team, uh, you know, on paper. Uh, lineup and to get through this tie with you know without that much difficulty, kind of you know just playing to their strengths. Isner serve, um, you know he he takes two he takes two uh, of the matches there. You know Sock doesn't beat Tomich, but you know he's you know certainly a, a formidable player on grass and the Bryans. You know that's boy I think that's a tough one to take if the Bryans lose to. Leighton Hewitt for all he's done, but uh, they get it done in four. And I think that's, you know, that's a pretty good win for Team USA. Yeah, from the U.S. side, you really have to, to like that because you look back at last year's first round, the uh, U.S. lost to Great Britain. Isner, Isner lost two singles matches, lost a really bad one to, to James Ward. But here he comes back and is really makes himself the anchor of this team sort of in the Andy Roddick ro- uh, role. He wins the first match and then he comes out and clinches it two two you know, pretty good wins over uh, for him on not his favorite surface at all. And the Bryans, you know, getting through, that was the other sort of question. This is probably the first time that I've heard in a long time that I've heard people speculate that maybe the U S should have brought another singles player and not brought the Bryans because, mm-hmm. you know, that, that means taking those two guys and just devoting them to double because they're not as strong as they were. But, and, and it also even showed in the, in the final, they went five sets with the team. They, Against a team they normally would beat, but they won, and you know that was also key. So you sort of you feel like that was a good one, good win for them, a good win for Jim Courier, and also for Isner to kind of take over this role finally of of being a Davis Cup anchor. Of course, on the other side, it was a disaster for Australia last year at this time. While the U.S. was losing, they were winning their first round tie, and it looked like they were. You know, a new gener- Javis Cup generation was coming up for them, but they those guys imploded this weekend. Tomic and Kyrgios ended up in a fight over. You know, Tomic said he thought Kyrgios basically was faking to get out of the tie. Kyrgios, you know, shot back at him, and you sort of see Le- Leighton Hewitt, who used to be the bad boy of Aussie tennis, now he's got to be the guy who controls these guys. So it's a rough start for him um, as the team captain. Yeah, I think this is, you know, with the Australian Open past us and now this first round of Davis Cup, you know, of course, all those matches played, you know, on the Australian continent there. And, you know, with a few years past of us seeing Tomich, Kyrgios, Kakanakis, who didn't play, kind of establish themselves and I think get that, um, you know, get the excitement going about really this new um, young generation of Australian talents, you know, I, I wonder when, I wonder when we're getting to a point, and I know these guys are still so young, uh, where it's kind of like, you know, how much is too much kind of just 
really crap to take and and see these guys deal with it. It's 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 a matter of I, I think a lot of people would say of these players not learning from you know mistakes in the past about. Uh, you know, whether it's on court, certainly a lot of off court as we're talking about, but this, you know, this just does not, this just does not look good for Australia really. And and it's been a tough, I think, you know, really almost the past, you know, calendar year or so where we've just, we've, we have not seen, um, and I think we've seen other countries. I think this is why uh, I think some people are really down on the Australians. I think the younger talents in some other countries are quickly, uh, if if you know passing them and uh, you know they have they they really do have a, a deep group here but it has been really a struggle to kind of to bring this together and I think to lose this tie on you know at a venue like Kuyong which is so you know if you really want to go sort of symbolic here you know that's you know such a hallmark of the you know the old guard of the Australians. Um, to go down kind of meekly to this to this American crew, um, just not a good look for Australia, and and I think a pretty bad start to the season overall. Yeah, you kind of wonder. Uh, you know, you keep hearing Will Kyrgios and Tomic learn their lessons. Are they growing up? Are they are they letting? You know, are they maturing? And then then sometimes you think yes, and then then something happens where you think no, and and you really look at Tomic and wonder. How long Tomic, who's 22 or 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 older than that, and so, you know if 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 Kyrgios follows that model, they'll be up and down and have these problems for a, for a long time. You know, it's not it's not as if there's been a lot of progress. There seems to be progress with them at times, and then they take a step back, like like this weekend. And I think you also compare it. You look, you know, you're mentioning other young players. You can compare it to to um, the other tie down in the bottom of that draw: Croatia versus Belgium, the fifth rubber. Uh, the young Croatian born at Chorich, he won his fifth rubber, um, the, the the decider to clinch that, and and Croatia advances into the into the the next round. So you sort of see guys like him and Zverev making making progress, and you see Tomic and Kyrgios sort of stop and start, stop and start. Yeah, I think that's another good tie for the uh, quarterfinal round. I think just you know, like I said, I think this is a really strong round. Um, Croatia will, you know, Tome or uh, excuse me, Chorich and uh, Marin Cilic will be, um, you know, coming to the U.S. for that tie. And uh, I think the U.S. does really well traditionally on home soil. I think, uh, you know, I, I do. I, I think that's a, a tough one to call as well. But I think it's it's you know another example of um, really a pretty a pretty nice way that the bracket has shaken out. Um, you know, I guess if we want to make a dark or really kind of shot in the dark is, you know, where do, do you see, I guess, France, you know, you know, it, it, you have to think that they will, um, you know, they'll be encountering some tough competition down here. You have, I, I guess, at the top, we kind of have to see, you know, what the long-term commitment from, you know, a Murray or a Djokovic is, but you have any kind of, you know, prognostication on where this all ends up down the road? Well, I was thinking if this might be France's year, you know, judging by their first round and sort of the enthusiasm spirit they had down there with with Noah and um, that whole team together. But that that is a tough tie coming up against the Czech Republic. I I sort of see the U.S. as a as a dark horse because I feel like well they'll play Croatia at home, which will be a help. And I think 
if you're looking at a guy in a team that will be there through the year, I think Isner and, and the U.S., Isner, Sock, the Bryans, that U.S. team, is, I think, is pretty solid. You don't know really whether Murray and Djokovic will continue at the top. So I, I, I feel like the U.S. could be a dark horse in there in that they, they've gotten off to a good start and, and you know, they really, I think, will be committed to it all throughout. And I, yeah, and I think depending, I think a lot of that depends on really where we see the Bryan brothers um, taking this year in terms of their performance overall. This has been, you mentioned about the Bryans, kind of the opinion of them as it stands now. Uh, last year was not a uh, a year that is that they're used to, and you know I, I think you know you could certainly say they're clearly on the. You know, the back nine of, of things, and but uh, they, you know they still are really one of the tougher doubles teams to, to face against in a Davis Cup, especially when it's best of five. So um, it's a really strong round uh, coming up in in July. Um, I did want to close this podcast for sure to to pay our respects and mention to Bud Collins, who last week uh, at 86 uh, he passed. Um, Certainly someone that, you know, I can speak for myself and I'm sure Steve, you know, someone that has always been, you know, s- such a pleasure to not only to 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 learn about and to read about when I didn't know Bud at all, when I was really just kind of looking to, to break into this, uh, you know, as a writer, as an editor, uh, but when, you know, I did have the opportunity at, at some tournaments to just say hello and just, you know, really just uh, introduce myself, try to just even, you know, get a word in, get something, uh, you know, he always came back with, um, you know, just the utmost just pleasure. It was it was as if he was as happy to speak to you as I was um, to talk to him. He and I, I've I've written this before um, to anybody who didn't who has not read his memoir, uh, My Life with the Pros, which came out, um, I believe, in the late '80s. Um, you know, I don't think that book has aged uh, one bit. It's one of the best uh, tennis history books that I've read, and it's really written in the style that uh, you, you you've come to expect from from Bud over all these years. Um, so I just wanted to certainly say my uh, give my thoughts on uh, on Bud and uh, and you know I'll maybe hand it off to you Steve as well. Yeah, I think you know you when you first from the point of view of a tennis writer, sports writer, you expect somebody like that who's been around for so long and and has such a big name not to be particularly welcoming of of new people or just not to go out of his way to to help but but um Bud was always very encouraging. He always, you know, introduced himself. I remember being introduced himself as Bud Collins. I'm Bud Collins, as if you weren't going to know that. Mm-hmm. And he didn't do that. He didn't. It wasn't false humility. It wasn't a pretentious or false humility. He really just—that's how he thought of himself. Didn't he? Didn't really. He didn't think of himself as any different than he was before he was well-known. I think he always thought of himself as just one of the writers um, in the press room like anyone else. He he was always there. You know, he was a TV personality, but he was also, he spent his time at a desk in the press room like any other reporter because that's what he was for for so long. And I think you're, you're right about 
my life with the pros, his book, I also, you know, when I hear that people talk about how tennis doesn't have a history of great writing or people will talk about David Foster Wallace as, as if that's the only great tennis writing, I would say people should read My Life with the Pros, which is an insider's take, but also really well-written. Um, you know, you really get the history of the sport through a unique perspective. And also, he was the person who really, the history that we know of tennis was essentially written by him, him, and, him on the American side, on the British side, Richard Evans. But if it wasn't for Bud's sort of witness to all of it, tennis there would be so much less tennis history just based on one person which i think is that shows how much he meant to the sport um you know it's it's not often that well, i think one person could serve as the real as the real historian um of the game and i think the and the writing was good that i think that he should be considered among when we talk about great books and great sports writing books that that should be part of the conversation but unfortunately it isn't but maybe Maybe now it'll get a little more recognition. His writing and his work yep. will get a little more recognition rather than him as a personality. Yes. Yeah, very well said. Uh, 100% agree with you there. So I think we will leave it at that on that note. And uh, we'll return next week where Indian Wells will be um, in full throw. So plenty to talk about at that point, And there is a lot going on this week um, please head to tennis.com for all that so for steve tigner and ed mcgrogan thank you again for listening to the tennis.com podcast you've been enjoying the tennis.com podcast for all the latest news and events head over to tennis.com